Hello, and welcome to a Rock or Something podcast. I am Specialist Linwood Thomas. Today we'll be talking about prescription drugs, and I'm joined by a few guests. Uh, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. So I'm Major Demetrius Pittman. I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm like the chief of behavioral health here for the task force medical unit um, stationed here in Kosovo. And I'm Sergeant Corey Robinson. Um, I'm the pharmacy tech here on Bonsteel. Um, I dispense all the medications to the soldiers of Kent Bonsteel. Thank you. Welcome. There's a thin line between prescription drug use, misuse, and abuse. So when taking prescription drugs, it's not always easy to know you may have crossed the line from use to misuse or abuse. You or someone you care about may have a problem and not even know it. That's why it's important to understand exactly what's meant by misuse and abuse and how you can avoid them. That's an excerpt from Army.mil's Army Substance Abuse Program page. Um, my first question is, what are some of the most common reasons that soldiers are prescribed medications? One of the reasons I see most is uh, for pain, um, insomnia, they can't sleep, um, and that's pretty much, uh, you know, the common cold, common things. Yeah, yeah I agree with Sergeant Robinson. I saw, like, the common cold kind of things. Uh, chronic pain and insomnia are probably the two biggest kind of epidemics almost in the military right now. Okay, and what are some of the more commonly prescribed drugs? Uh, definitely ibuprofen, that's the Army's candy. <laughs> ibuprofen 800s, um, ibuprofen, mucinex, that comes to the pharmacy a lot. Melatonin, melatonin is another one. That's, that helps you sleep, right? Yes, melatonin helps okay. you sleep. Okay, and you said the ibuprofen, uh, is it because the dosage is so high that it's prescribed? Like, can't you buy ibuprofen at the grocery store? Yes, uh, ibuprofen 200 comes at the grocery store. I don't know why they pick 800s. A lot of providers don't like 800s. Um, it's just at their uh, provider's discretion. Okay. So my next question is, are there legitimate reasons to take more than prescribed amounts of any medication? Not that I can think of, no. No? So get a prescription, follow it to the T. Yes. Yes. That's the best answer. Yeah, you should really follow whatever's written on the side of your bottle, whatever's, if it's prescribed or if you're taking it over the counter, you should really follow the instructions that are on there. If you want to do something outside of that, you should call your provider and ask, is it safe to do this? Yes, they didn't put the uh, <laughs> that on there for no reason. So I think if they're putting the SIG on there to what you need to take it, then that's what it needs to be. Okay, so the flip side of that is um, not taking the, the prescribed medicine at all. So is there, if I'm prescribed something, is there a a reason that I, sh I shouldn't, like something legit? Allergies. Allergies? Well, um, I thought about that, but uh, I felt like if someone was allergic to a medication, you would know that before writing a prescription, yes? Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes it takes for a patient to uh, take the medication to realize that they're having a reaction to it. Not all the time it's caught before they take the medication. 
And it's again, that's another reason why you will call your provider and say, hey, you know, um, this has caused me too much. It's like some common side effects, maybe like too much nausea, diarrhea, I'm breaking out in hives. Stomach pain. Yeah, yeah. so you, you want to like call somebody before you just stop and then they can kind of let you know, continue taking it, maybe it'll get better because sometimes some of those symptoms get better the longer you take it. Um, they just said take it for another day or two and it gets worse. And then other times they may tell you stop immediately and change it up. So the big thing is follow the doctor's instructions and if you can't, you know, try to give them a call. So hypothetically, um, I'm a person who's averse to taking medication, any pills, any whatever. And um, I end up at the doctor for some reason or another and I'm prescribed some pain medication, but I feel like I can just tough it through without it. Um, is that a smart thing to do? Or is it just up to the person? I think it's up to the person. Um, at the end of the day, if someone doesn't want to take the medication, obviously for their own reasons, um, then you can't make, it, make them take it. You can recommend that they take it. Um, and if they don't get better, then I would recommend taking it to see if it, it is a difference. At least try it first before you're saying, I'm good without medication. Okay. So uh, let's push forward a little bit. Um, what is the difference between drug misuse and abuse? Drug misuse would be like we were just talking about, um, not taking the medication how it's directed. Um, drug abuse is taking it exactly what it is, abusing it, taking it more than you should, just because you feel like, so if you're in pain and you got ibuprofen and the pain's not going away with 800, now you're gonna take three more, which the doctor didn't direct you to take three more, that would be abuse. Okay, anything to yeah, add? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. So yeah, misuse is not taking it as directed or taking it you know, outside of its intended kind of use. Well, abuses if you, definitely if you're taking it for some other intended purpose than whatever that uh, medication is intended for. So, for instance, you know, some people take pain medication to try to make themselves go to sleep or to get some kind of high or something like that, then you are abusing that medication because now you're taking it for a, a whole different reason than what the actual pre prescription is telling you to do. Like you take, you know, we've heard of, you know, people, you know, Mixing, doing cough syrup and taking it to kind of yeah. get those other kind of effects and all those kind of weird mixtures that you hear in some of those songs, that's when <laughs> it becomes abuse because you're using it for some other intended purpose than to, you know, remedy your cough or to remedy your pain. Okay, um, another hypothetical. Um, I'm prescribed some medicine and my sister um, some pain medication, let me be specific, and my sister maybe falls and hurts herself and now wants to use my medicine. Is that misuse? Well, it depends, right? So if it's just like over-the-counter ibuprofen, something, you know, that you can get from, you know, the, the doctor, I mean, like from like just going down to Walmart or, um, and you just want to give them the ibuprofen as long as it's not to prescribe 800 milligrams, it's like just something you can actually buy. That's that's more what I was leaning to. Yeah. I would, that I've been prescribed. Uh, okay. So, I would recommend that um, individuals don't take others people's prescribed medicine. Um, just for the simple fact, if you want to say ibuprofen, um, you don't know if your sister is allergic to NSAIDs or what it does, if it can cause rashes or anything. So, now that can turn into a, another problem than just pain. 
because you gave her your prescription medicine. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So what about taking medication that I've been prescribed um, and putting it on the shelf for a while? Say I've gotten over whatever it is that uh, my, my ailment was and I still have some left. Um, is it okay for me to go back uh, to that medication at a different time? If you're saying, um, if we're gonna use ibuprofen again, ibuprofen or any other medication that's not controlled, yes. Controlled medications, I would not recommend doing it because if you use it outside of the expiration date, then that can lead to um, you failing AUA and then further consequences for taking it when you're not supposed to. Okay, give me an example or a few examples of controlled medications, I'm not. Control medications, Percocet, um, lower tabs, morphine, ketamine, Xanax, lorazepam, and it, it goes on. Can't save your Percocets. No. <laughs> no. You heard some Definitely feelings not. out there, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, so I, I have a couple of, I think we covered uh, the, the misuse, um, and I have a couple of other points under abuse, uh, which are taking the drug to get high, um, I think you m might have touched on that a little bit. Um, mixing more than one medication. Um, as long, if it's not prescribed in that way, then that's, that's kind of stepping outside the line, yes? Okay, and then taking a drug with alcohol to increase the effects. Right, yeah. Alcohol is never good when taking medication, mm -hmm. with any medication. No medication. Yeah, I think, yeah, most bottles say do not mix this with alcohol. So no Percocets and Incredible Hulk. Oh, no. no. <laughs> okay, all right. No Tylenol Absolutely and alcohol. Just, no. just putting it out there. All right, so what are um, the most commonly misused prescription drugs? We just had a list of them. So um, out of the, the controlled drugs that you, you mentioned, what are some that are more than likely going to get misused? Um, like Major Pittman said, the uh, cough syrup, uh, that's guafenicin and codeine, um, Percocet, um, Ambien is another one, which is for sleep. Yes, those are the most common ones. Yeah. Xanax. Yes. Yes, Xanax. Yeah. How about stimulants? Yes, ADHD medication, so. Adderall. Yeah. Ritalin. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. As medical professionals, uh, what are some signs or symptoms of someone who is misusing prescription drugs? Hmm. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> um, I would say signs and symptoms, maybe they come in uh, for the medication earlier than expected, like you give them 15 that's supposed to last 15 days and day six they're back for more um they can't think of any other ones right now yeah yeah that's usually you know coming up with another ailment or something so they can try to get more of the same yeah. medication you have running out early um faking you know, symptoms yeah fake yeah i'm saying faking some symptoms coming in even asking specifically for kind of a medication yes. instead of, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah that sounds so like asking a red specifically flag. for like oh i need some percocet instead of like i'm yeah. in pain I took it what can you take yeah <laughs> you know so asking by name kind of name dropping for some specific things that you know are some of those opioids that can lead 
to kind of a addiction. So that's usually kind of a red flag. I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, but I know yeah. those Percocets well, I work. None of that. So in my research, um, I found a few other things like showing anger or hostility or having mood swings, um, sleeping a lot or not very much, um, having problems with money, family, or friendships, um, hiding drug use, um, illegal purchasing, illegally purchasing said drugs, um, you said faking symptoms, um, crushing, snorting, or injecting the drug to enhance its effects. Um, all misuse. <laughs> so, uh, with what we know about misuse, when does um, drug misuse or abuse become addiction? When you're doing the most to get that uh, medication. So, when I say the most, faking symptoms, um, maybe trying to get your friend to come in and, and try to get that medication for you. Uh, buying it, then that's when it comes to addiction, when your life is just controlled by the medication, looking for the medication. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so when your life kind of revolves around taking, getting, seeking kind of that medication and you feel like you can't function without having that kind of substance in your system, then that's usually where you become that, you become dependent and addicted to a certain medication. So, And all those things you mentioned about you know, seeking it, trying to find it, trying to get it off the streets, trying to get from other people, stealing, those types of things kind of go along with that dependency. Okay, let me throw another hypothetical situation at you. Um, you are prescribing a patient, um, say, a pain medication. Is Percocet pain? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Percocet, and it's so many milligrams of Percocet, and it doesn't take effect. Is that a red flag? Yes, that means your body is maybe used to it. Your body could be used to uh, the effects of it and it doesn't work as well as it did when you first started taking it. Um, that can definitely be a red flag. What happens in that situation? Uh, do you prescribe something stronger or do you kind of do a review of this person's records to see like what their medical history, why, why that's happening, like what happens in that situation? I would definitely go to a provider to um, look into it uh, more. I wouldn't recommend going higher in dosage um, because that may lead to more abuse. Next thing you know, they're um, used to the higher strength and now you, you just need to go higher. So I don't think going higher is the answer. Maybe try a different medication. Maybe the medication, mm -hmm. something their uh, body isn't used to. Yeah. We do have people who have like some chronic pain and they've been kind of having you know, long-term pain for a long time. The military does tend to wear you down. We have a lot of wear and tear in our body. Like I said, <laughs> chronic pain is a big issue. So some people have been on multiple and different medications. So it is trying to look at the record, trying to determine maybe Percocet isn't the thing that works for you. Maybe we need to try something else. Maybe you've moved outside of even trying to do medications. We have, you know, all kinds of things like in pain management clinics that may be more useful for you, like steroid injections, you know, other things that may be helpful for that pain and medication may not be it. So a provider would try to dig into that and see is there something else kind of going on. Because you, know, you don't want to give too much medication, too high of a dosage. Now you've 
develop this whole cycle. You're supporting the habit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You either started somebody on a habit if they now their body needs that, right. or you supporting somebody's habit. So you're trying to figure out what's the best way to treat that person's pain. Okay, so potentially a, a flag, but not. Yeah, not necessarily. Ultimately, like a case-by-case. Case. Yeah, cases. it's like case-by-case, because case, I know some people who have, that's why we have pain management clinics, because some people do have really chronic pain that the military has done to their bodies. Got it. Tell me about ASAP. So it's the Army Substance Abuse Program. Uh, we actually don't really call it ASAP anymore, so... Yeah, they education yeah. is key. Thank you so much. What what do we call it now? So in the army now they call it uh, the substance use disorder clinical care. So SUTSI is actually the new kind of military term um, for substance abuse, and that kind of goes along that there's all levels of substance abuse. So ASAP was you know alcohol and substance abuse uh, assistance program. Um, and so now they're just kind of encompassing everything as substance use because of the kind of uh, epidemic in terms of uh, substance misuse for all types of substances, not just alcohol. Um, and so they just kind of made it a substance use clinic. So. Can you repeat that? Sure, substance use substance disorder use. clinical care. I think. Disorder, <laughs> clinical. Yeah. we call it. That's kind of like S-U-D-C-C. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're learning things every day. It's okay. <laughs> So do the rules work the same in terms of self-referral versus command referral? Yeah, so yeah, so uh, so it's still a command program. So SUTSI is still a command program. It's still um, where the commander, if you go to SUTSI, the commander has some kind of rights and are kind of involved. But the, in terms of your ability to just self-refer and just kind of, you know, you can go without any kind of, um, you know, blowback or any kind of thinking that it's going to be any kind of effect to your career, um, you can do a self-referral or you can be command referred if there is a substance use issue and then the command um, has their rights and responsibilities that they're supposed to do. So there's kind of two options now. Okay. Um, are there ways that the SUTSI program differs from Army Substance Abuse Program other than the name? Yeah, well, they just rebranded. It was originally rebranding, and then there was a policy letter um, a couple months ago where they made it a lot easier for people to self-refer without having any kind of um, commander uh, kind of involvement. So you can just say, hey, I have a problem. You can self-refer to SETSI, and then if you have an issue, it's less likely that the command is, the command is not as likely to give you any kind of USMJ related to that because you sought help before right. any kind of trouble happened. Taking control. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay, uh, so Major Pittman, working in um, behavioral health, mm-hmm. do you deal with issues concerning the SETSI program? I do, yeah. So um, when I'm not here in Kosovo, I'm stationed at Fort Gordon in Georgia, and we have a SETSI program. We actually have one of the, um, I think, three alcohol and substance abuse inpatient 28-day programs at Fort Gordon. And so I used to be the chief of that program. And it's a 28-day program that the military um, has, and it covers anyone from the DOD, so anyone can come to the program and seek help, even individuals in the National Guard. And so, again, if you have um, saw help, you've self-referred, you've gone through SUDSI, and just that SUTSI outpatient, because is outpatient, so that just outpatient where you go and then you go home, if that level of care doesn't work for you, 
then you can get referred to like a 28-day program and then you're there for 28 days away from your unit away from everything you live there and you basically eat sleep and breathe substance use treatment and that's at Fort Gordon where I used to work and I used to be the clinical coordinator for that. So you know all about this. Yes. Great. <laughs> this is my jam. I'm really excited about being on this podcast about this stuff. Who makes that referral? You said if um, if the outpatient process doesn't work for you, uh, you get a referral to the 28-day program. Who, who makes that referral? So if you, when you go to substance, like I said, it's outpatient, um, and you, everyone who goes to the substance abuse disorder clinic has a, like a provider. So they have a main counselor who they work with. And with that program, you do one-on-one appointments. You may go to groups. And then at some point, the person, you know, either they don't feel like you're getting better or you may have a relapse because people relapse multiple times where they, you know, they may stop using substances and then they'll start back. Um, And so they may think, okay, you actually need to, we need to remove you out of the situation so you can't go seek drugs downtown um, and you, we can put you in a 28-day program. So that substance abuse counselor that you're working with will make that referral, work with your command, and try to see, hey, can they release you for that 28 days, you know, with mission, how, you know, is there funding to pay for you to get there, those types of things. And people come from all over the world to go to the different substance abuse clinics that we there have. So they're called residential treatment facilities, RTF. Okay, um, so this might be digging into the weeds just a little bit, but what is the science behind the 28 days? Like, why not 22 days? Why not 31 days? Like, <laughs> so, um, so everyone, most people have heard about the whole thing. Like, it's 21 days to kind of make a habit. So 21 days of doing something kind of continuously and consistently kind of develops a habit. Actually, kind of retrains your brain, and so. The basis is to kind of have that 21 days, and then on the either end of that, um, having time for the person to kind of acclimate to like a new environment, actually come in, in process, all those types of things. So that's usually like the first uh, two days where a person's there. And then on the end, having a little bit more time on the end to also just making sure they have all the skills down. And so it usually ends up being about 28 days um, on either end. Also, unfortunately, a lot of, uh, some people come to the program and they may still have a lot of substances in their system. And so a lot of times during that first two to five days, people are going through withdrawal. And so any of the techniques and skills that you're actually trying to teach them, their brain chemistry is not there, right? They, they're, they're coming down from alcohol withdrawal, they're coming down from any other substance withdrawal. And so trying to get all that out of their system for a couple of days um, kind of those days are just kind of trash, basically. Like I said, that's the end process of letting your body acclimate, and usually that's about two to five days for most substances. And so, I'm say about about 21 to 25 days of actually being able to talk to a person, really give them all the skills, and then doing that every day makes it a, a habit that sticks. Okay. Um. I feel like I have like 101 questions about that. So I'm, a, I'm just going to move on. If I, if I think it's something that I think is really important, I'm going to come back to Let's it. Let's come back to but it. Placing, placing yourself back into the um, behavioral health space, um, if someone reveals during a session that they might suffer from addiction, are you required to report that? Or what, what's your obligation there? So we are we're required to we, we tell them that they need to either self refer or we will come in and refer them. Um, 
So we give people the option. So, but we're not required to immediately go and tell the commander. So we always give people the option to self-refer first. Okay. Um. So caveat to that, if it if it's a mission-related thing, we're always so behavioral health is always about safety. So if there's a possibility that it's going to affect mission, right? So if you're you know, abusing substances, and then you have your MP, right? And I know you have to go out and do a job and have a weapon missions first, and I don't want there to be a safety issue or you're a pilot. So anytime there's a mis- mission safety issue, we will just we are, that's part of our our whole spiel when we when you come in for care. I'm probably gonna tell somebody if I feel like it's a mission safety issue, so it doesn't matter. It's, so it's definitely at your discretion. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to. Uh, regress for a second uh, back to our 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 previous topic. Um, so we were talking about you said you mentioned alcohol withdrawal. So you can be addicted to alcohol. You can be addicted to prescription drugs. Um, a lot of people in the army. This is a soldier specific question. Um, is caffeine addiction ever? Uh, does that ever come up? Yeah. So um, can someone? participate in the SUSI program because of a caffeine addiction? We usually don't have anyone in like SUSI uh, for caffeine addiction. Usually it probably goes hand in hand with some other kind of addiction. So, um, but just mainly going in just for caffeine addiction, we have very few people that do that. Okay, Uh, that would probably fall more on those uppers, the Adderall and Ritalin kind of thing. Okay, Um, so, Sergeant Robinson, um, as a pharmacist, are you in a position to identify people who may be crossing the line with prescription medication? No, I am not. I can recommend it to the provider. Like, um, I will watch out for this. I would try to investigate it a little bit more before prescribing them their next medication. But in my, um, where I am, pharmacy technician, no, I cannot. Okay, so you mentioned before um, someone coming back to ask for a prescription earlier than they're supposed to come back or, or something like that. Is, is that's a red flag? Are there others from where you sit? Um, that would probably be the only red flag from what I can see, yes. Okay. Um, so what are reasons that people cross the line from misuse to abuse. That's for the both of you. Medication uh, they're probably taking with misuse. Uh, They take it one too many times uh, or an extra tablet this time and it probably did something that they want to feel again as far as like any other drugs that there is. You know, somebody is chasing that high um, with controls at, at least. Um, but I believe that's the determining factor of going from misuse to abuse. So getting that feeling, whether it's a good feeling or um, I was thinking maybe a bad feeling, like if somebody's uh, at a, a bad point in their lives, uh, maybe feeling a little depressed about something um, and the drug, what, whatever it might be, uh, kind of makes them forget about it or mm. eases yes. the pain. And as far as like, they can't sleep, so I'm gonna take a, a tablet today. Next thing you know, tomorrow still can't sleep, so I'm gonna take another one. Now you're depending on sleep medic 
medications to go to sleep. That's another instance that could probably happen. Hmm. I never thought about being dependent on sleep medication. I see it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I see it a lot. So uh, would you say uh, there's a high concentration of soldiers that suffer from insomnia or like? Definitely, yes. Definitely. How does that happen? Uh, it could be some underlying problems um, that I may not know about. Um, that could be somebody else's and, <laughs> and someone else's scope. But uh, <laughs> yeah, insomnia, like I mentioned before, yeah, insomnia is one of pain. It's just one of those things that is kind of one of those kind of again one of those epidemics in the military. And it's again, it's the military makes us get up early and we stay late, right? And it's like you have a really compressed time to really actually be able to do the things you need to do. If you're up at five o'clock, you need to drive to PT, do PT. Then you're at work all day, what, to 1800, and then you have to drive home, and now you're trying to spend time with the family and stay up late, and now you're not going to bed till like 11 or 12 o'clock at night, and then I only got five hours of sleep. It's like five hours is not the amount of sleep you should have, right? Seven, eight, seven to nine hours for most 18 to 24-year-olds, which is the group of uh, the main, the largest group of people we have in the military. So not getting enough sleep, right? And so that's where you get the caffeine. Now I'm going to use all this caffeine all day, and I need this to keep myself going. But now because I use all this caffeine all day, I can't go to sleep at night. And so now I need something to help me go to sleep at night, and it just becomes this super vicious cycle. I'm like, so how do you break it, right? So even here in deployments, it's a big thing, right? Most of us about six to seven hours behind some families. Some people are as much as like nine to 12 hours, depending on some of these guard soldiers who are from like Alaska. So now you're staying up late, you talk to family, you still gotta get up, go to work, now you're drinking caffeine all day, now you can't go to sleep at night. So it just becomes this thing that again, it's like one of those things that kinda gets created just by the military op tempo. And again, people just start using substances to try to do that. And so one of the big things, if you're not sleeping right, your body actually needs sleep to recuperate, to actually reboot itself, to re reset all your brain chemistry, reset all your organs. So it's actually a really big thing. And so if it doesn't reset, everything actually starts slowing down. So your metabolism slows down, so you gain weight. You know, your mental, you become like tired. Concentration goes off, and so now I need something to help me concentrate. Then depression is actually a slowing down of your whole system, so now I feel bad. And I can't concentrate, so now I'm anxious because I can't get my work done. Now I feel bad because I can't get my work done because first sergeant not yelled at me. It just like piles up. Now I'm late to PT or late to something. So now I got a FTR. Now I got an argument fatigue. And so you see how it it's slides. A snowball effect. <laughs> snowball effect. Just because I couldn't sleep. Yes. <laughs> and what what is the appropriate amount of sleep again? Usually seven to nine hours. Seven like, to nine. I'm yeah. gonna put that. For in eighteen my... to twenty four year olds, which is the main. That's like most of the people in the military between 18 and 24. Seven to nine. I, I'll tuck that in my pocket. Um, I'll be lucky to get that on a good like, seven, <laughs> Who seven, do you know gets seven to nine hours? Seven to nine, first sergeant. I need seven to nine, my organs, first yeah. sergeant. <laughs> Got it. So, uh, yeah, so I just went through that whole thing, but it does snowball like that. And that's important. It's very important. Important to know. Yeah, and that's how we get a lot of the substance. Like, I got to do this to get high. And then pain increases when you don't sleep because, again, your body's not healing itself at night. It just becomes a big thing. And so now you need 
all these substances when you okay need yes bring it on home yeah all right because that was a rabbit hole that was <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but yes i love it but that's you why it all back. the substances becomes misused and then abused and it can slide got it uh sergeant robertson what measures are taken to inform soldiers about the risk factors associated with prescription medications like addiction um counseling so my job here not on the civilian side but being a pharmacy technician in the military, um, my job is to counsel as long as with the pharmacist I work al alongside with. So just making sure before the patient leaves, uh, letting them know any side effects, what can happen if you take too much, when is it recommended for you to take, uh, take it with food, take it with plenty of water. So it's my job to educate the side effects and what the medication can do if it's not taken correctly. Does that type of counseling come with every prescription? Yes. Every prescription that goes out of the pharmacy, there is something that needs to be said about it to the patient. Okay. Now, um, outside of the SUDSI program, are there other resources available to soldiers specifically who are abusing or maybe addicted to prescription medication? Uh, so, in terms of probably on a military installation, SETSI is the main way to go, but there's always civilian organizations, so if people have concerns and they think they may become addicted, you know, there's Alcohol Anonymous, there's Narcotic Anonymous, you know, those, all of those anonymous organizations where they can um, talk to someone. Also, you know, if you don't want to have anything on the record, there's also trying to call like Military One Source or any of those kind of hotlines. You can just say, hey you know, kind of test the waters and say, you know, I'm concerned about this, maybe if I'm trying, I think I might be in the misuse, abuse category, and they can kind of offer some advice and information as well. Got it. Now, let's talk consequences. We've we've established that there's uh, abuse or misuse going on. Uh, maybe I don't want to get help. Maybe I don't want to go to SUSI. I don't want, I don't have 28 days to spare. Uh, what happens when I get caught? Because ultimately, you'll get caught. So what, what happens, like, what are the consequences? The UCMJ process uh, starts, just for one. Yeah, so yeah, so it's up to command, but there's policies, procedures, um, again, where you, you, they may, depend on command, right? There could be immediately Article 15s, or they could have more leeway, just do a counseling, tell you to get some help. So it's all command dependent, but Ultimately, if, if it continues, then it could be dismissal from the military. Okay, so separation from the Army, that's a dishonorable, dishonorable discharge. Um, maybe a court-martial. Um, so any separation from the Army, uh, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, so once you're separated from the Army, uh, you might face additional consequences, like uh, also your benefits, mm -hmm. um, hurting your family. Um, losing a chance at future job opportunities, yep. all those things. So, like, more like a snowball effect. Yeah, like it becomes a snowball, yeah. And then if you get, like, you know, DUIs, you know, driving an influence, right, you might lose your license, all the court charges, it, it, yeah, it becomes a, a big issue. You can't drive on post. You can't drive <laughs> on post, yeah. So it, it just it starts, again, that snowball effect. So you want to try to catch it early. And if... A soldier is um, separated from the army uh, under those terms. Did that does that follow you? Like, are other employers able to see that you've been released 
in that manner or I suppose every job you go to now asks if you ever had a felony. So like if you get a DUI, sometimes it can be a felony. Or that was asked if you've ever been in the military and if so, you know, what's your discharge status and so you can just lie and say you know, I'm or sure you can be honest. Yeah, you can be honest because usually lies come back to bite you if you say, Oh no, I'm good. No, I've never had a felony or I've never been discharged other than on the roof of the military. Sometimes it always comes back out. So hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any job application I've seen that doesn't ask about the, <laughs> have you ever been discharged from the military or something. Okay, um, Sergeant Robinson, talk to our listeners about the Drug Take Back program. Okay, the Drug Take Back program is a program where it's designed to take back all the medications um, that the soldiers of Camp Bond still have. Um, so we can't ship medication in the connex um it's that's a no-go through the customs um you can't send it through the mail it can only be on your persons so the drug take back program is designed to take back any unused or unwanted medication um is that specific to camp bond still or is there is this like a do they do that all over the army i haven't seen it done um, in the Army. I'm pretty sure they have amnesty boxes around the Army in the pharmacy. Um, this is the first time I've ever seen a drug take-back event here on Camp Bonsteel. Okay, um, so is it more for a deployed environment? Is this like a program more for deployed soldiers? Or? Yes, definitely. Okay, um, when is the next turn-in opportunity on Camp Bonsteel? So um, I'm still getting um, it together so it'll be probably around the first week of March. I plan on doing it again, or closer to the time we leave. Okay, um, and how would soldiers who are interested in that find out? So we're gonna put it in a frag ord. Um, I'm plan on posting flyers, you know, in the common places around Bonsteel, the gym, the uh, cafeteria. Um, so I have a Another hypothetical situation. Um, so I've been prescribed medicine and I feel better, but I haven't taken all my pills. Do I flush them or do I turn them in? I would say turn them in. And why? Flushing the medication um, is, is never a good thing. Um, when uh, you turn in the medication, I either, I, send, I can send them back. Uh, we get reimbursed for the medications that um, we gave out and I, maybe your plumbing is bad one day and I hope no one takes the medication out of the toilet but somebody can see maybe you flush down some Percocet and they know what it looks like and next thing you know they're taking Percocets if it didn't dissolve. Got it, got it. So is there anything that either of you want to add to the conversation? No, that's about Don't misuse or abuse <laughs> your medication. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of what we said before, right? If you have any questions or you have an inkling of trying to do what something different than what it says on the bottle, call the provider. Come in and talk to the pharmacy, you know, so you can try to make sure that you are standing the right, standing the lines. Um, because, again, we have that snowball effect, and you don't want to – it's a slippery slope. So, you know, you want to kind of stay in that. And you also just want to just make sure you – you're protecting other people too. Like you said, you know, if you have medications, you want to make sure you're 
disposing of them and getting rid of them, you know, the correct way so that you're not, it's, it won't be a, um, something that somebody else could get and possibly misuse or abuse. Yes, don't throw away your medication. Uh, we're having a take-back event. Just bring it to the pharmacy yeah. when don't it gets put it in the published. Trash. <laughs> <laughs> so they can be disposed of properly. Yes. yes. Got it. And to our listeners, prescription drug misuse and abuse is definitely a serious matter, regardless of the reason. Uh, if you find yourself in either of these situations, please seek help before it becomes a situation where your intervention is involuntary. Um, here are a few resources that can help. Ask someone about the SUTSI program. Again, that is... Substance Use Disorder Clinical Care. Substance Use Disorder Clinical Care. Visit a behavioral health professional. There is a Smart Recovery Self-Management and Recovery Training is a nonprofit organization whose goal is to put you in charge of managing your addiction. You can find them at smartrecovery.org. That's S-M-A-R-T-R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y.org. And for information on drugs and related health consequences, resources for health professionals, and more, visit drugabuse.gov. That's D-R-U-G-A-B-U-S-E dot gov. Thank you both for joining us today. Again, I am Specialist Linwood Thomas, and this has been a Rock or Something podcast.